0: Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories, with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring workday.
1: They are the world's greatest mercenaries. The only life they've ever known... War. The only loyalty they've ever had is to each other. Mother,
2: drop your guns! Let the four on the left. Why don't you take the two on the right and leave the rest? You're not that fast anymore. Oh, here we go. The you only know, thing faster. Is... Light. Exactly. We'll
1: see. Yeah! Three pieces of
2: work. Two a walk in a park, and one to hell and back. So, we are working for the agency. I gotta recon this island first. The only thing you need to know is the job's real and the money's real. Give this job to my friend here. He loves playing in
3: the jungle. Right? Right. What's his problem? Who's that the contact? Follow me, please.
2: People who fight back are killed. Now you have a dying place. Maybe you can help. I don't think so. I thought we would leave. Throw this picture. Everything. We don't have the manpower, the firepower, we'd be dead in the water. Ray, They've got a small army. What do we got? Four and a half men. <laughs> <laughs> not so
3: funny. You know, it's not easy being your friend. We will kill this American disease!
1: I promised myself that I want to die for something counts.
2: People live through terrible times, but you must believe you can survive.
3: 10 seconds you won't believe what's gonna happen.
2: What happened to you? I got my ass kicked.
0: Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie The Expendables from 2010. Now, the studio was Lionsgate. The release date was August 13, 2010. The running time, 103 minutes. The rating is R. The budget, $80 million, with the box office taking in $103 million, making it the 28th-ranked movie of 2010. That $103 million was domestic only. They made much more internationally. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 42% rotten from 203 reviews. The critics' consensus is, It makes good on the old-school action it promises, but given all the talent on display, the Expendables should hit harder. Roger Ebert didn't do a review, so I found San Francisco Chronicle reviewer Mick LaSalle. Who, if you ever, if you grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, you would love the Sunday morning pink section, which always is the entertainment section. And they would have this fun little review system where if a guy was, they had this little figure, it wasn't a figurine, it was a cartoon, where if the movie was zero stars, there would be nobody sitting in the chair. If it was one star, the guy would be sleeping in the chair. If it was two stars, the guy would be sitting up in the chair. Uh, I think three stars, he's just applauding. And then four stars, he'd be standing up on his chair, like, clapping, you know, immensely. So it was a really fun system. That's what I grew up with. So Mick, La- Mick Sal gives uh, two out of four stars, and that would be the guy just sitting up in his chair. And here's his review. Like one of those package concert tours made up of a bunch of old acts nobody wants to see, The Expendables features a rogues gallery of tired action stars that, when thrown together, suddenly holds the promise of a good time. For a while, The Expendables lives up to that promise too. Then the story kicks in and we find ourselves with just another routine action movie. It's another one about mercenaries. What's the deal with that? Mercenaries are the contract killers of the military world. The evil Hessians during the Revolutionary War, people without principle only after a buck. Yet movies keep selling these guys as fun-loving adventurers, bound only to each other in brotherhood and loyalty. Are male spectators so lonely for fraternal bonding that these fantasies hold appeal? No, that's not it. Here's the real reason. A mercenary story replicates a teenage boy's conception of the power structure a tight band of close friends versus all the adult idiots in authority. Most of the guys in Expendables are now over 50, but the movie's mentality is more like 15, as in sophomore year, first term. That's the real audience for this movie. Sylvester Stallone directed and co-wrote the screenplay with Dave Callahan from Callahan's original story, and the temptation upon seeing that credit is to attribute every good line to Stallone and blame everything wrong with Callahan. The movie feels like something mediocre that was spruced up after the fact with a sprinkling of clever dialogue and with that kind of startup lineup, only a veteran with major connections could haul in. Still, there's no one to blame but Stallone for the action sequences that degenerate into incoherence to the point where it's impossible to know whose truck is exploding and who's shooting at whom. One clue, which might help, All the bad guys wear red berets that never fall off and they never take them off. Lest no one will know, it's okay to kill them. Wearing a red beret in The Expendables is as dangerous as wearing a red shirt on Star Trek. For a while, seeing all these action stars in one movie in itself is a pleasure. Stallone heads a merry band of mercenaries, which includes Jason Statham as his right-hand man, plus Jet Li and Dolph Lundgren. Bruce Willis, as a CIA frontman, hires them to go to South America and deal with an American businessman, played by Eric Roberts, who is pillaging a small island. And Roberts is backed by the muscle of none other than Stone Cold Steve Austin. There are more cameos, and the effect of all this is to make us expect a fun movie bordering on satire. But no, it turns self-important. These guys discover a cause. Stallone finds a woman, Giselle time who is oppressed, courageous, and in need of rescue, and in the process of us asking to take her seriously, Stallone asks us to take this movie seriously, but this is not possible. Still, Stallone never bores his audience. Within its genre, that is, the lousy movie genre, The Expendals is... One of the better ones. I've saved Mickey Rourke for last. He plays a former mercenary, now working as a tattoo artist, and in the few scenes he's in, there's nothing else on screen. Even with the second-rate material, Rourke blows into the film, wonderfully at home with himself and complete in his characterization. He has a monologue that might have sounded like nonsense in another actor's mouth about fighting Serbians in Bosnia and the spiritual toll of warfare. He's amazing. And give credit to Stallone. He le- he just leaves the camera on Rourke in the tightest of close-ups, cutting only once to himself for a one-second reaction shot, but keeping the focus on his actor, a great actor. And that's the end of the review. All right, this was exactly the movie I wanted when it was released back in 2010. It was a throwback to the action of the 80s and Stallone knew exactly what his audience wanted. There's a mix of comedy and mostly it's through Winnie Banner, but this is exactly what the 80s were great at. The action is awesome and Stallone still kicks ass and Statham is like the new era Stallone. I will say that LaSalle's review is pretty much spot on for me, but I still enjoy movies like this purely for the nostalgia of the plethora of films that were once produced like this with ease. Now, with everyone so self-conscious about offending and pleasing everyone, movies like The Expendables are rare. Obviously, the retro crowd agreed with me and made the film a success. Action films are kind of like a throwback to ancient mythology. And Stallone's truly a genius. I mean, he wrote and directed and acted. He doesn't get enough credit about his brilliance as all of these throughout his career. He edits a film in his head while he's filming. So if you didn't know already, Brazil is like the hub of MMA, which is, you know, mixed martial arts. And real MMA fighters were cast as the Red Berets for the enemy's army. And the reason the film works so well and looks so good is because of the amazing crew and the vision of Stallone. They really busted their ass off and it paid off. Uh, the test screeners, it, it, it was supposed to be like kind of like a modern day dirty dozen. And, and Stallone read every single note from the two screeners. And then Stallone changed the music a lot from the first screener. Uh, Stallone used social media and Comic-Con to promote the film, which was really intelligent. He he could make an old-school action film, but promote it to a modern audience. And when there's a videotape of this, or, or YouTube where he comes out to Comic-Con and the cast is already there and everyone starts chanting Rocky. It was really cool. All right, usually I do a quick bit about each actor when I do these types of episodes, you know, giving the history and whatnot up until the point where the film uh, I'm talking about comes into play. However, there's just way too many stars in the film, so I'm just going to go through each one of them without detail. And, you know, honestly, if you're if you're listening to this episode, you probably know them already, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, so, of course, you have St- Sylvester Stallone. He directed and wrote the screenplay Uh, Jason Statham Jet Li Dolph Lundgren Eric Roberts Randy Couture Steve Austin Terry Crews and Mickey Rourke Uh, the screenplay is by Dave Callahan and he actually has written all three of the Expendables movies along with the upcoming four sequel which I'll look forward to he's also written the upcoming Wonder Woman sequel 1984 and the sequel to the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse which is coming out soon that would be an animated film all right, let's just get right into the movie. So, the film starts in Somalia, but it really is shot in New Orleans. Uh, there's a terrorist kind of pirate group that has captured contract workers from US companies that are now demanding a ransom of $5 million. So, the real ship that they shot on was in 120 degree heat, which was actually a Russian freighter. And so, before the group, uh, the terrorist group, can start killing hostages on video, a mercenary group uh, known as the Expendables, kind of jumps right in. Stallone is the leader of the group, and he tries to negotiate. However, Dolph Lundgren plays a hothead, and he doesn't really wait and shoots the leader of the terrorists, which all hell breaks loose. There's some awesome death scenes. As basically, a guy gets cut in half with one shot. All hell breaks loose, but it makes for great action. You even kind of get some like old-school Western-style standoffs in the meantime. The music goes old school that, you know, they when they're flying home, they play Keep Your Hands to Yourself from Georgia Satellites. Later you hear Keep On Chewing from Credence, uh, Mississippi Queen from Mountain. I mean, they know their audience. So Charisma Carpenter, who was in, I believe, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show, uh, she plays Jason Statham's on-again, off-again love interest uh, in this film for a year and a half, but he's not around much, and so they're kind of on the outs. And again, the house scene that she lives in is filmed in New Orleans. More on her later. There's a great scene with Statham. So even though Mick LaSalle talks about how great Mickey Rourke is, uh, he's just a mess. He just—he looks like he's got this weird-ass long hair. And the reason that he, he he looks like this, and he was shooting Iron Man 2 at the same time, and so he came on short notice because he's a buddy with Stallone. And so he basically had 48 hours to work on the film. He, again, plays a tattoo artist. And he really doesn't look like he's acting in this one. And, and there's certain roles the guy's kind of become tag cast into. And after The Wrestler, all the roles seem the same for Mickey, you know, for Mickey Rourke. And there's a really funny line with Statham uh, talking about Sylvester Stallone's tattoo. He says he looks like uh, says his raven kind of looks like a black chicken. So the tattoo parlor, you know, scene is is really fun and they're kind of throwing uh they're having instead of playing darts, they're playing basically darts with knives. So, there you go. So, the island of Vilena, which is really in uh Brazil, Um, there's this dictator, played by David Zayas, and he's capturing traitors, or essentially people who don't agree with the dictator. However, the dictator is basically a figurehead for Eric Roberts, who is in control because he he has cash, so he's kind of taken over this little island. So, Stallone takes a meeting for another job for his gang, and Bruce Willis, who I believe is a CIA operative, uh, is there, and Arnold Schwarzenegger shows up. So, this is like, you know, the dream of, of the 80s action heroes. And this was the original draw, I think, for a lot of people in the film. but this is really the only scene you get all three of them in. And Stallone actually wasn't that they were buddies because they all owned uh, Planet Hollywood, you know, for a while there. And Stallone, however, wasn't impressed with Willis on this film, said he was a lazy, which is why you don't see Bruce Willis in the sequels. And there's a funny line in the film where, um, you know, Stallone says that Arnold wants to be president. <laughs> so there you go. And uh, But, you know, even though Stallone Ended up kind of bad-mouthing Willis After the film uh, You know, Willis did it as a favor So did Arnold So, you know, he couldn't have been that bad of a guy
2: <laughs> Let's just keep it simple If the money's right, we don't care where the job is Got it? Let's quit jerking off Get down to business See so who's hungry I know your real name's probably not Bonnie Ross You don't need to know my name The only thing you need to know is the job's real And the money's real But since we're in this nice place... Miles well just call me Mr. Church. Okay, Church, what can I do for you? Wait a minute. I'm still waiting for one more guy. Who? You know him? Yeah, we used to be on the same team together. What's my oldest, worst friend doing here? Both your names came to the top of the list. Is that a problem? Yeah. Should have shot him when I had a chance. Big Barney Ross. Bigger Trent Mouse. What are you doing? Praying for Brooke? Could be. Hey, you been sick? You lost weight? Really? Now, whatever weight I lost, you found Pal.
3: <laughs> you guys aren't gonna start sucking each other's dicks, are you? Let's get down to business, see who wants to work. You ever hear of an island called Valena? No. Yeah. It's a little island in the Gulf. That's right. You should read more. Thanks. There are resources on that island that my people are very interested in. But the general by the name of Gaza is overthrown the to have government. That's right. My people are having a problem with this fanatic Gaza.
2: So you want Gaza gone? I want him dead. All he takes his little army. Only an idiot would do this job. How much? No, well, like I said, I'm busy anyway, so give this job to my friend here. He loves playing in the jungle, right? Right. That's right. Hey, why don't we have dinner? Sure, when? In a thousand years. Too soon.
0: What's his fucking problem?
2: He wants to be president.
0: And supposedly Willis uh, ad-libbed the uh, dick-sucking line. So there you go. Stallone, in the film, lets Dolph Lundgren go for the team because he's just too much of a wild card. So now the team is Jason Statham, Jet Li, Terry Crews, and Randy Couture. Crews said that the team have uh, actually four and a half since Jet Li is so tiny, <laughs> which was a funny line. And I love the group scenes in the movie, and it really stems back to my love of like the A-team.
2: That's the way it's gonna be. Now, the target of this island is a guy named General Garza. What's the problem?
3: Who gives a shit what the problem is? We got enough problems right here of our own. We don't get rid of those first, they're gonna get rid of us. Toll Road, when's the last time you saw your islands? This morning? Yeah, what'd you talk about? Avoidant personality disorder. You think too much. You know,
2: Toll Road, you're a great guy, a little fucked up, no doubt about it. And you're always going to have unusual problems, right?
3: Yeah. You're talking about my ear.
2: Oh, come on. Don't start with the ear again. The ear Not
3: the story. ear story. No, again, we don't know the ear story. We don't Just want to story. We all know I wrestled in college. Right. Common injury associated with that sport is trauma to the ear. A clot, which if left unattended, causes a contraction in the cartilage and forms cauliflower ears. My college roommate used to bring up my ear configuration all the time. Parties, social events, you name it. That didn't really bother me all that much because he's usually bragging about how my ears are a badge of courage. Made me a little less self-conscious. Of course it would. But that was short-lived. One morning during spring break, I hear him on the phone bagging on me, talking about my queer ear. (laughs) You see something funny?
2: Sorry, go ahead.
3: So I realized I'd become the brunt of a joke simply because I look a little bit different. Mm. So I decided to educate my roommate on the common decency that should be afforded people who look a little different. I smashed him upside his goddamn head! Several times! Until he had a little cluster of cauliflower all his own.
2: And you pointed?
3: It ain't easy being green. The fuck you think I'm talking about?
2: Anyway, me and Christmas are gonna head down to Valina and Scout the Island to see if we should take the job. How much do you pay? I need more money for my family. What fucking family are you talking about? My family.
0: You know, don't ask. So they agree to take to get involved taking out the dictator, and Stone Cold Steve Austin plays the main enforcer for Eric Roberts and, and Zayas, and Stallone and Statham kind of do some recon work to scope out the job. Uh, their main contact is Sandra, and that is Giselle you know, Aite, and uh, she's Brazilian. And Sandra is kind of part of the resistance to get the country back from Roberts and Zayas. And Roberts essentially wants to, to control this large cocaine operation, uh, and he wants it to be ground zero in this particular country. So again, he controls the dictator, and because he's made him very wealthy, and we find out that Sandra is actually the general slash dictator's daughter, but she is against him. So Roberts is terrific as a heavy. He takes his role seriously and isn't cheesy, so that's why it comes off as really good. Essentially, the plot has to be interesting in these types of movies, but doesn't have to be amazing or groundbreaking. Nobody is looking for like a whodunit type of film here. This is action. Pure and simple. Stallone knows what his audience wants, and he plays up to the strengths of the genre. And this is where I think, you know, LaSalle kind of missed the boat with his review. Uh, The plot really doesn't have to be great, it's really an excuse for great action. And and there's a great scene where Statham and Stallone, you know, take out 10 soldiers with ease as they try to, um, you know, rescue Sandra. The plane action where Stallone and Statham escape, uh, then return, <laughs> and they kind of unleash the fury on on the army. It's really good stuff. Tons of explosions. Uh, the plane that they were using was very old and rusted out, and they found it in Brazil. Uh, Stallone loved the look of the plane and asked to have it refurbished. And then it kind of really fits the mood of the film. Uh, Statham actually did the stunt on his own where he pops up in the front of the plane when the, when the plane is dive bombing and, and Stallone's dropping fuel on the boat, you know, dock. And then Statham shoots a flare uh, on the dock, which means it, it blows up. And, and in real life, the plane really wasn't the sturdiest, but Statham still did the stunt. And all of those explosions that you see in the film are real. And that's another thing. I think the uh, realism of all of these stunts and you're having really well-trained athletes. And even Stallone, who we'll talk about later, really injured himself a lot on this film because he was you know, in his 60s. Uh, he's still a good athlete, and all these guys are really well trained. Lundgren, of course, is a turncoat in this film and and decides to take uh, to sell out his former team to Eric Robertson. And, and Roberts used to be a CIA FBI, but went rogue uh, to take over a drug or operation because money is powerful. <laughs> and, and now he needs to be taken out and so uh, Bruce Willis can't use official forces like the Navy SEALs so that's why the Expendables are the only option to get rid of Roberts Statham uh, returns to find Charisma Carpenter uh, bruised after being beaten up by her other boyfriend and there is a badass showdown as Statham absolutely destroys the guy at a basketball court and his buddies I absolutely love it who, who wouldn't love something like this it's just it's a really well done scene so Mickey Rourke kind of has this weird like mentor role he I guess he was too old to be part of the gang uh, maybe it was because he just didn't have enough time to film he was on again Iron Man 2 uh, so he kind of brings heart to a pretty much blood and guts type of film
1: what's the matter Barney don't you ever sleep no whatever your girlfriend <laughs> another one bites the dust brother I was going to paint this for her and uh, you know what I'm going to finish it and I'm just going to smash the shit out of it you want to be alone Not really, so what's
2: up? On this island, there was this girl. Well, usually are. No. She showed us around. She was the target's daughter. And when she had a chance to leave, she didn't do it. She had some guts. Why can't I get that out of my mind?
1: Well, she stands for something. You know, man, we don't stand for shit. We used to, but that tried all up like this is gonna dry all up. This is your paint, it's gonna dry. What's we'll dried up? Mm-hmm. Just belief, man, just the belief in the soul, just, I don't know, the human parts, brother. You remember that time we was up in Bosnia? We took down them Serb bad boys. All our guys were getting chopped up all around us and there's blood everywhere. I never thought I was gonna make it out of there. And I don't know you did you didn't either. Yeah. Kind of feeling like dead too, you know. My head's all very, very black place. I don't I believe in shit. Just goddamn Dracula black. Remember I got this bottle of you know, local shit they have over there, that's Silovitz. I don't know, what, I think that's what it was called. And I ain't feeling no pain now. And I come up on this, uh, I come up on this old wooden bridge and I see this, I see this, I see this woman standing there, you know, and she's, uh, I stepped out and she saw me and she's just looking right in, right in my eyes and I was looking right in her eyes. I knew what she was gonna do. She looked at me and I knew she was gonna jump. You know what I did, man? I just turned around and I kept walking till I heard that splash. <sighs> and she was gone and after, after taking all them lives, here was one that I could have saved, but I didn't. And uh, what I realized later on was uh, if I'd have saved that woman, <laughs> I would have, I don't know, saved what was left of my soul, you know?
0: So, Sandra back on the island of Elena is eventually captured by Eric Roberts and she's waterboarded to divulge what the Expendables told her. And it's really not a fun scene to watch. And she actually did the stunt herself. Really, really tough acting. The great action scene where Stallone and Lee are ambushed while uh, Dolph Lundgren is driving. The truck is just badass that Stallone has. It's super fast. Great high speed tr- chase. Terrific camera work. It's also great to have a scene with no music. The score is basically the sound of the engines. You don't see that much anymore, and the score you know eventually kind of does creep in, but it's really subtle. And eventually, a martial arts showdown between Lee and Lundgren happens, which is great. I actually wish there was more uh, scenes with Terry Crews because I think he's awesome. Because he's funny and he's badass and him and Couture work really well together in the film. The last, 30, you know, the last 30 minutes of the movie involved the plan to save Sandra, and this is your typical action trope, but it works because it's what's expected. There's a you know, special ops type of action. The only problem film-wise, as Mick LaSalle kind of alluded to, is it's extremely dark, meaning the lighting is extremely dark, and sometimes you kind of lose focus of who's getting shot, and who's the good guy, and who's the bad guy. There are, again, some amazing death scenes. Uh, Stallone chops off a dude's arm and then plunges the knife into the guy's neck, Uh, He's saving Sandra in the process. Of course, then he's beaten (laughs) really bad, actually, by Steve Austin because it's the back and forth you have to have. Eventually, there's a battle royale between the two, and both Stallone and Austin did their own stunts, and Stallone was injured a lot, as I mentioned earlier, especially during this fight and and the making of the film as whole. And keep in mind, as great a shape as Stallone is in or was in, he is 64 years old when he was making this film tons of great gore there's body parts flying all over the place terry cruz absolutely pulling his best rambo impression by just mowing down people with a huge machine gun and there's amazing audio effects for this and uh there was a great ad lib by cruz where he's like remember this shit at christmas <laughs> it's just it's a good line <laughs> remember this shit at christmas then you have a battle. This is fun for wrestling fans. Couture and, and Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, get into a battle, uh, eventually death, uh, when uh, Steve Austin is engulfed in flames. So yeah, I'll give you spoilers here. You know what's happening anyway. Uh, another great scene that was unique is where uh, Terry Crews chucks a super heavy-duty warhead up in the air, like kind of like a shot put, and then Stallone fires at it, com- causing this you know enormous explosion. It's great. They save the day, as you would imagine. They end up back at the tattoo power with more knife dart games. And uh, you got Born in the Bayou playing from Credence. It's great. And credits are Thin Lizzie's Boys Are Back in Town, and they drive off on motorcycles. Look, you know exactly what you're gonna get. It's 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 hard to call it a feel-good movie, but it's like comfort food action movies that if you are probably a male that grew up in the 80s, this is this is your comfort food. And I and again, this is why they keep making sequels and there's a there's a need for this. There was a deleted scene. It's kind of the alternate version of the Somalia pirate scene at the beginning of the film. Uh, Lundgren acts more stupid and ends with a joke about being a Viking. It, it should have been cut, and it was the right move. Uh, it, Comic-Con, again, was a great way to promote this film, and Terry Crews comes out and rips off his shirt. He does his pec flexes. It's great. I'll see if I can find some YouTube clips and maybe tack it on at the end of this. Uh, there's some great fun facts. Stallone had actually offered uh a role to john claude van damme but he turned it down saying he didn't think that his character had any substance and he wasn't crazy about the plot i mean come on van damme really have you have you watched his movies from the past however after the expendables was a success van damme you know magically changed his tune and he was the main villain in the sequel so, Terry Crews' name in the film is Hale Caesar, H-A-L-E, and he was not the first choice to actually play him. That was actually Wesley Snipes, but Snipes was in legal trouble due to his tax evasion. So, the next in line was not Crews, but Forrest Whitaker, but he couldn't take the role due to other commitments. So, 50 Cent was next in line, and that fell through, and Terry Crews were brought in. I'm Again, I love Terry Crews, so I'm glad this, this all fell through. He should have been the first choice from the beginning. Eric Roberts was not the first choice as James Monroe. It was actually Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Ben Kingsley, and Ray Liotta were all considered. It sounds like a sequel to Goodfellas. Sylvester Stallone actually sustained 14 injuries during the making of this film, including breaking a tooth, rupturing his ankle, getting a hairline fracture in his neck that required uh, surgical insertion of a metal plate, and he also had bronchitis and shingles during the shoot, so... Good job, Stallone. It was all worth it, right? Mickey Rourke said he did this film as a favor to uh, Stallone, who years earlier helped uh, Rourke when he was in a career slump, and he offered him a major role in the 2000 movie Get Carter and helped pay part of Rourke's salary himself. So, by all accounts, Stallone's a pretty good guy. Now, I'm sure you're wondering, what was the body count of this film? Well, if you had the over, you probably won, (laughs) because it was 188 dead. That's right. All right. Is this movie for everyone? No. Is this movie for people that loved action movies and Stallone and all the actors are in this film from the 80s? Absolutely. This is your dream come true. And I hope they continue making movies like this for as long as they can. Because once these stars are gone, you know, I, I, I every episode I talk about it, like the star power is over. And there was something about all these guys where you go see a movie even if it was going... You knew it wasn't be great. I mean, shit, I own Over the Top and Cobra and all that stuff. And I love them because it doesn't matter. Stallone's in it. I'm going to watch it. I'll buy into it. And it's comfort food. I don't care what, it, what people say. It's fun to watch. I'm glad these movies are around. I can't just watch Citizen Kane and Casablanca every single, you know, night I come home. <laughs> so, stuff like this is good to have. And I hope you enjoy it. And if you're, you know, somewhat interested, there's worse things you could do in two hours. So until next week this is brian signing off
4: this is an old school badass
0: movie this
4: is the sort of thing where it's about men sweating it's about men getting hurt making the movie because they put 125 percent into it and this is the sort of thing that made us love all the people that are in this film and that's fantastic that that just doesn't happen very often one thing that I love about what Stallone has put together here is that he has people from all generations of action right now. we got people that we haven't seen a lot of stuff from, well, other than their work in MMA and, and professional wrestling, and we've seen some of their work on film, but we haven't seen them come together in something quite like this. How many of you have been wanting to see The Expendables since it was announced? Yeah. In the back. Did you want to see expendables? Okay, that's pretty good. Pretty good. Let me start to bring some of these guys out here. First, we have Terry Cruz. You know Terry from his show, Family Cruz. You know him from Idiocracy. You gotta rip your shirt apart. <laughs> okay. Next, you know him as Ivan Drago. We all know him as Dolph Lundgren, the original Punisher. Let's bring him out. He's been directing films and doing stuff. Now we can see him with Stallone again. Dolph Lundgren. This did the set of The Expendables in New Orleans. I saw a forearm that scared the living shit out of me. That forearm belonged to Randy Couture. UFC heavyweight champion. Come on out. Seriously, the scariest forearm ever. Now, this next man, it's kind of hard to introduce. He wakes me up some mornings to tell me to put a story up on the site. I'm proud to call him, my friend, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky, Rambo, Demolition Man, everything you love, The Secret of the Three Shells. so serious in that tie up here. Well, you know,
2: I, I thought about becoming a lawyer in case this movie doesn't work, so. <laughs> Actually, I'll loosen it up and maybe
4: hang one of these guys with <laughs> Okay, guys. When Sly called each of you up to say, I'm putting together a team to kick ass, what do y'all think? Start with you, Terry. No, but dude, he had me at hello, I'm, I'm just telling you.
2: Literally, I mean, I'm driving on the freeway, I get a call, my agent's like, you gotta come down to Beverly Hills, you gotta meet the Sylvester Stallone. Woo! Dude, I run down there, it's a dark room, and I hear, here, sit down. I'm like, I'm looking around, I'm like, yo, whoa, where did that come from? And he's like, yo, I don't know if you wanna do this. Before.
4: the manliest
1: movie ever made. Steve? You know, uh, when I first heard about The Expendables, I was down at my place in Texas, and I've been hearing some rumors, and turns out Sly had already cast on The Expendables, but I got the call when I got back to L.A., and I went down and met Sly, he described the part of Dan Payne to me. And uh, obviously I'm the only villain here at this table. <laughs> and being the villain, being the badass is something I've always enjoyed my whole life from my past career in pro wrestling. So Sly offered me the job on the spot, and I took it on the spot because I'm
4: a pretty smart guy. And I had a lot of damn fun making this movie with these guys and kicking the crap out of them. <laughs> When uh, you, you did a tour of duty with Sly Long Jam the Gun. Oh, damn, oh, my
1: God. Bruce
4: Willis. <laughs> Gulf, you were about to tell us what was it like getting a call so many years later from Sly saying hey, I want you to be a part of this. Maybe Bruce wants to say something because he has to go. Oh, Bruce. Uh, nice to see you all again. <laughs> you. Just wanted to come in and say hi uh, and, and, and thank uh, Sly
2: publicly in a very public forum for, for including me in this great film. We've seen the film and it's
4: it's huge it's really huge it's great and uh it was thank you so much for having an opportunity for the three of us to be
2: in
3: that that scene
2: well in all fairness the idea i wanted to i thought it was a dream or true because i i know we'll probably never get a chance to work together because we've all gone separate ways in our lives and our careers have gone different paths i thought god i wrote a scene for myself and the governor where like he would keep me trying to get his Hummer into a parking spot, and I'm trying to get my pickup truck, and then we get out and just punch each other in the face. Because it had to be quick, because he's governor. And then I try to think of, for Bruce a quick scene, and 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 he was going to play like this CIA operative. And then Bruce said, "Hey, stupid, why don't you put us both in the same scene? That might work." I went, Wow, you want to be a director. (laughs) And and so he came up with this idea, and he made it all happen. So thank you very much, Bruce. Thank you very much. much. Good luck,
4: Thank you. Bruce Willis.
0: Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues because, after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat because even when you lose, you still win.
3: My second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science!